He can walk and he can look and he looks. But he walks so, so well good. And looks I know. So good. I know. He looks so fucking good. Oh, he's so hot. Anyway. Okay, let's do this. I can't um, even focus now. All I'm thinking about is Ryan Gosling. Well, I guess we can get into it. This is episode number 16. It's kind of our part de of our Washington spy, super, super secret spy so hard episodes. It's Friday, October 13th. And with me is my co-host, as always, Justin Ozinga. It's great to be here, everyone. It really is. So last week we... Uh, before before we get into that... Boop, boop, bop, backing up. A couple issues to discuss. Uh-oh. Airing of the grievances... Did you get a cat? I got a cat. Well, okay. No. Stop. Time out. Rewind it back. I never wanted a cat. However, uh, I come home one day and there is a cat in my house. And there is uh, not really a litter box or food bowls or much of anything in that way. So uh, I just, you know, I spoiled the kitty. I bought the kitty some toys and some, you know, the kitty essentials that a kitty would need and so now i uh now i have a cat you fell in love with a cat and i understand that you're looking for suggestions as to what its name should be george washington no no let's not be fucking silly your cat doesn't own slaves (laughs) your cat will not own anything except for the shitty toys that you buy it maybe my heart i don't know what are your feelings on naming it? My favorite suggestion so far is uh, Professor Khaki Pants. No! And, yeah, I would just call him Pants for short. That's the front runner for me. Professor Khaki Pants. He's like a tiny little like white with this like brown khaki face and dark, like these deep green hazily blue eyes. He's beautiful. I think, as well as all 12 of our listeners, that you should name this cat Henry. Like Henry Winkler? No. No. No, Henry's the best name. Cats with human, like, old men names are the best. Okay. Henry's a great name because I looked at the cat and I immediately thought Henry. And I rarely look at something and immediately know what its name should be. Okay. All right. But if you were <laughs> if you were going to name it uh-huh. presidential. Uh-huh. Abraham Lincoln. Franklin. Ooh. I would go with Franklin. I like Franklin. I do. Or Pierce. Ooh. Pierce. That is quite regal for a kitty, for my pussy. My favorite president lasted less than 30 days in office, William (laughs) Henry Harrison. That's how I feel about it. William Henry Harrison Ford? I feel that there aren't enough homages in the cat world to Herman's Hermits. I am Henry the 
You might have convinced me. And like all the time, you can do the H E N R Y and you could sing that to your cat every time you come home. <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> if you want to name it Pants, Mr. Pants, <laughs> you want to name your cat Pants? Do you want to name it Pants? How about Slacks? No, Mr. Pants. Under ruse. I think it's a bad idea. But do what your heart tells you to do or do what I tell you to do. I thought that those were one and the same. Exactly. So, Ryan. Yeah. The news is pretty crazy. Like, this is the craziest than I feel that the news has ever been. Let me just tell you, it's not even political. Justin, there have been fucking shootings, fucking forest fires. California is experiencing a shit ton of earthquakes recently. Shit's crazy right now. Yeah, the president is unfit for his office. Oh, but just that we have certainly. to narrow things down because our podcast has become mostly about thinking about a very old fuck president and not our current president. But of the last couple of weeks, of all the crazy shit, the president of the United States kind of challenged his secretary of state to an IQ test. <sighs> Like an IQ off. That's right. The guy who tried to sell steaks at Sharper Image is publicly challenging a member of his cabinet to an IQ test off. An IQ test off. I don't, I don't really know what the fuck that is. I hear, I hear, is Mensa getting involved with this? Um, I'm sure Menzo would be happy to facilitate. <laughs> They've said so. They literally have, like, actually, quite literally said that they would be happy to host that test. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. So, Ryan, I would like to ask you kind of a typical IQ test question. All right. Just to see if you are smarter than Donald Trump. Because I see no possible way he could answer this question in a timely manner okay are you ready yeah clear your head have you had anything to drink yes okay this is drunk ryan markley versus the president of the united fucking states all right okay let's go here's the question jane went to visit jill jill is jane's only husband's mother-in-law's only husband's only daughter's only daughter. Did you hear all that? Do you need me to repeat it? Yes, repeat it one more time, please. Okay. Jane went to visit Jill. Jill is Jane's only husband's mother-in-law's only husband's only daughter's only daughter. Okay. What is the relation between Jill to Jane? Uh, Jane's the daughter. Jane is the daughter, and you are now, by all rights, president of the United States of America. All right, woo! Kumate, kumate, kumate. Perfect reaction to your presidency. Fuck. I think <laughs> it's I very crazy. Watch but it burn. In all seriousness, mm-hmm. who would you say is the the smartest president of the United States? 
out of all 45 of these mostly white cunts. Try to think of the name of the president who was. It's interesting to bring up because Washington had a like one of the worst educations out of all the presidents. Maybe, maybe only second to uh, what's his farts, Andrew Johnson, who didn't have any formal education. None. Washington had about a fifth grade education. Well, I mean, off the bat, I actually think of. President Obama only because he's like a fucking scholar. Bill Clinton, uh, actually, uh, he graduated what? Uh, Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service, you know, at Georgetown. So it's not fucking bad. Um, Bill Clinton definitely graduated Yale Law School. It's part of John Mulaney's stand up routine. Georgetown University, University College, Oxford University. He never graduated, though, and this is where. He never inhaled really? and Yale Law School. Uh, Oxford University never graduated, and, but he did go to okay. law school at Yale. Yes. But he did He did pass the bar. He did, yeah. So he, he's one of the few presidents that did not – well, modern presidents that did not graduate from law school and went on to pass the bar. That's fascinating. Because really, I mean, before Nixon, there were only a couple presidents that – became lawyers that went actually went to law schools because as we know you know george washington fucking destroyed princeton king's college uh woodrow wilson is the uh the only phd president only phd president this is fascinating he was a law school school dropout what was his phd his dissertation doctor yeah. He's a political uh, science. Uh, he was a political science. Uh, his doctoral dissertation was titled Congressional Government, a Study in American Politics. So probably the only – That was like Johns Hopkins. That's correct. Johns so, Hopkins University, yeah. Which is a, a weird thing to say nowadays. But at least over half of United States presidents became lawyers. But out of the first – you know, before Nixon, most of them were apprentices – Lincoln, Buchanan, Franklin, fucking Pierce. But I'm gonna, I'm, I'm putting my. If I was gonna gamble on the DeLorean rounding up all of our presidents in their prime for an IQ test, I'm putting all my money on John Quincy Adams. Interesting, dude. Swam naked every morning. I don't have any other evidence to back up my my wager. I really don't have. Any, maybe. I'm literally. My top three are going to be John Quincy Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Bill Clinton. So, just because I don't know the odds on passing the bar without completing law school, but I think it's pretty fucking small in a, in the modern era. Bill Clinton's a goddamn genius. So I'm actually looking up. There's a list of presidents ranked by their IQ. I'll start at number five. How yeah, about that? But, five, five, okay. five to one. Woodrow Wilson. With an IQ, I don't know how they, I don't know how they fucking, There's no, yeah. but they, they estimated That's IQ bullshit. of him is 145.1. Number four, ooh, Bill Clinton, IQ of 148.8. Number three, JFK with an IQ of 150.7. Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> interesting, this is fascinating. Thomas Jefferson with an IQ of 153.8. And John Quincy Adams with an IQ of 168.8, like his father. I don't know how they determine that fucking metric. This is what this is what, this is what they say about John Quincy though. Uh, J.Q. Big Dick Adams, 
Uh, like his father, John Quincy Adams was an esteemed lawyer and a formidable presence in court. He earned a law degree from Harvard. He was also a brilliant statesman, negotiated several key international treaties. Uh, remarkably, Adams was fluent in at least four languages and regularly translated Latin and ancient Greek. Fascinating. I'm, assu- I'm assuming that his father had a lot to do with that, though. Kind of like fucking forced it on him. It's a very hard thing to analyze, I think. I think so, too. This is this is the true, like, nerdy people that are interested in presidents at a bar fighting over who is the smartest president. So last episode, we launched ourselves into a mini-series of sorts. We discussed Nathan Hale, a.k.a. the worst fucking spy ever. Then we started to do a dive into the primary characters of what would be the largest and most useful spy ring that Washington personally oversaw. The primary character in this ring is Agent 711, who is none other than George himself. The other large players of this Culper ring were mostly from Sawtucket, and that was actually where a guy named Benjamin Talmadge was from. He was an officer who helped Washington with the logistics of the Culper ring. He recruited Abraham Woodhall to collect information on troop movements in New York and on Long Island. And Abraham couldn't do all this alone. The logistics were tricky, and he had a legitimate fear that he might be captured and killed for being an enemy spy. He recruited a Quaker by the name of Robert Townsend, Bobby B. Townsend. Robert Townsend lived in the city but had family back in Sawtucket, giving him reasonable cover to go back and forth between the two. Once all of this information was gathered... A woman by the name of Anna Strong would signal Woodhall and a guy named Caleb Brewster. And these two would either meet directly or later on specifically would actually have these dead drops. She'd fly her little dress, like one black dress, white handkerchief, white handkerchief means meet in the bay. And this whole system took a little too long. So Washington was kind of always looking for a few different ways to kind of work around this thing. And we kind of talked about a few ways that he tried to shorten those. And that brings us pretty much to today, kind of touching base on kind of the more peripheral characters of the Culper Ring. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into some of the more domestic stuff, and then that will lead us to kind of our next episode, which is, you know, kind of ending our whole spy so hard uh, thing that we've got going on here. And we'll talk about the international uh, spy game during the Revolutionary War. Today, we're going to start off... By talking about some bullshit characters in the whole Culper ring thing. Ring thing. Many of my musical nerds will know Hamilton the Musical. Hercules Mulligan! Hercules Mulligan! Hercules Mulligan! I'm spying on the British government. I take the measurements, information, and then I smuggle it. Ah. To my brother's revolutionary covenant. I'm running with the sons of liberty and I am loving it. See, that's what happens when you up against the ruffians. We in the shit now. Somebody's got to shovel it. Hercules Mulligan. I need no introduction when you knock me down. I get the fuck back up. Ah. The great thing about Herc was that he was in it from the beginning. The British cunts should have seen all the red flags when it came to Hercules Mulligan. And what's crazy is that Alexander Hamilton actually lived with Hercules Mulligan at Princeton, which was at the time King's College, which I think that we should have a King's College nowadays. I think that we should have like, a King's College. Let's bring it back. Let's make America really great again. Smart people should be like, I go to King's College. Uh, I go to the King's College. Uh, y'all motherfuckers apples. aren't getting in there. 
And Hercules also owned a clothing shop. This clothing shop, British officers loved. Hercules was fabulous. He was a big, likable personality. Just a big, fabulous man. Let me measure your waist while I gather your intelligence. Ooh. Mulligan's slave, Cato, I bet you can't guess where he was named from, <laughs> played an integral role, often embarking on risky courier missions. Slaves definitely helped play spy roles in the Revolutionary War. Totally. That's what I'm trying to say. We forget it all too often. They really, they very much did. And just as the soldiery. That's another interesting topic. Shut up and play football. Slaves often get left out of the story, much like women, still today. Lydia Dara was another woman who was helping the Patriot cause. British officers in Philadelphia used a room in her house as a conference room. She had some good tea. She had some good chairs. (laughs) But Lydia was like, fuck you. And she hid in a closet and took notes of their meetings. She would then hide messages in her 14-year-old son's coat, who would relay these tiny strips of paper to his older brother, who is serving in the American forces. Hmm. Louis Castigan, who probably should be played in a movie by a younger Bill Murray, was a POW in New York City on parole. When he was officially freed, he just fucking stuck around and wandered (laughs) As if he was still a prisoner like, yeah, no, I'm in still, the area. I'm still a prisoner. He was a fake fucking <laughs> prisoner who collected intelligence. That's pretty fucked up. That's pretty like that's pretty like baller. Like I am still yeah, and I'm still here. It's cool. You could write I mean, if you had half a comedic brain, you could write a whole movie of him just wandering around. There's a stick there for Northern sure. New York yeah. As a fake prisoner. <laughs> And nobody knows his fucking name. <laughs> it's just it's just a random name. Yeah. And the president of the United States doesn't like prisoners. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Abraham Patton. Well, this dude, he got fucking caught. Uh-oh. Definitely a less less of a dum-dum than Nathan Hale. He had bribed a grenadier to carry four letters from British-occupied New Brunswick to American generals Putnam and Washington, giving them information on the town and attempting to set fire to it. Oh, oh, that's right, yeah. This guy was fascinating, actually. Was this guy a ship painter? You mean, did he paint in his own ship? Or was he a poor painter? No, uh, there's a story of a guy. He would paint ships, and he didn't really much like the British, but he wasn't much of a patriot. I, I think this this guy, like, and he would like kind of like check out like some some movements in like the sea areas. And then one time he just attempted to set a bunch of boats on fire, but it totally didn't fucking work. And they found him out, and they fucking killed him. Yeah, well, yeah, that sounds about his his end of his life was the grenadier turned him into the British authorities. Yeah, that sounds about right. He had, Admitted to everything, yeah. and he was killed. Yeah. If you were caught, would you admit to everything, Justin? If you were a spy and you got caught, would you admit to it? Without torture? Yeah. Like, just be like, yeah, yeah, I was totally a spy. Without torture, no. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Like, that doesn't make I any sense. I would have to be tortured for a while before I gave shit up. But, like, how much torture? Very little, <laughs> probably. <laughs> what if it was tickle torture? How, how long would that take? Oh, fuck. I know. Mm. I know. Hopefully they don't figure out that at first. Like <laughs> waterboarding, I'd be fine. 
<laughs> okay, I think that would be fun. I would act horrified initially <laughs> and probably enjoy the water. <laughs> because I almost drowned in the ocean and I thought it was a good time. <laughs> well, as fun as the whole copper ring thing is, I think it's time to move on to some other aspects of espionage in the Revolutionary War. I'm pretty excited to talk about some of this stuff. As I mentioned a little on the last episode, I recently read a book called Spies. Patriots and Traitors, American Intelligence in the Revolutionary War by Kenneth A. Dagler, who basically was just a CIA dude. In his book, he provides a very deep insight into espionage, counterintelligence, and treacherous activity, fuck's hit, three times fast, happening during the Revolutionary War outside of the Culper Spy Ring. So his book's basically just focused on a lot of stuff outside of the Culper Spy Ring. As I mentioned earlier, I want to start this off. I really want to uh, drill down into those sons into of liberty what and who do you want to drill down into uh the sons of liberty please uh you can take that however you mm, would like okay mm. All right. just drill yeah. just drill right down so the sons of liberty Academia, of course absolute for science the sons of liberty they were a secret political slash paramilitary organization it's also a tv show kind of like turn turned but I'm not sure how good it is. I haven't watched it yet. I'll probably give it a go. I'm assuming since we're talking about it and I, I realized it was a fucking TV show today. It's on uh, History, I think. And the lead character is fucking hot. So sounds good. Anyway, Sons of Liberty. Superficially, it was nothing more than a group of people who were not into the British government asserting control. And they were pretty upset that the British government was not allowing the citizens of the colonies to take part in their decision making but I kind of want to get back real quick to the paramilitary organization part of it. We see so many of these paramilitary organizations today. I think the people in Charlottesville probably are part. I mean, like, I, I, I hate to say that they're all part of paramilitary organizations, but I feel like there's just a lot of that vibe going on there. And so it's funny because we're going to be talking about the Sons of Liberty and basically how even before the Revolutionary War started, even before the Stamp Act there were this group of like kind of fucking uneducated nut jobs in the middle of the woods who didn't really understand anything, but were kind of just like getting drunk and talking about shit all the time. The earliest we start hearing about these Sons of Liberty. That, that tradition, it really comes from a place, the war that George Washington's great, great grandfather fought. Yes. Which the, is the first also one where we, we get our Second Amendment from. George Washington's ancestor was on the losing side of that war, which granted people the right to bear arms and which kind of established this kind of mentality, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally. It totally makes sense. And it, it makes late more sense. Late 1600s. Yeah. Mid to late 1600s. This is a kind of thing that was happening in Britain. So it was not isolated to the the sense of liberty. No, not not at all. Definitely, absolutely not at all. And they were really just one group of many. They were. I wouldn't even say they were necessarily one of the largest groups, but they were the group that had the most influential characters participating. The earliest we start hearing about the Sons of Liberty is about 1765. So this is right before the Stamp Act kind of is they, they're really just kind of pissed at the British. The group begins to swell in ranks directly after the Stamp Act because everyone's fucking pissed. And like I said, this was no genteel group of gentlemen. And yes, only men could be members. Yeah, when it starts hitting your pockets, 
yeah. you, you start joining weird militia well, that, groups. So the Sons of Liberty was founded. A lot of people think that it was Sam Adams. A lot of people consider Sam Adams the founder of the Sons of Liberty. However, there's absolutely like little to no documentation of that. He was an influential character in the Sons of Liberty for sure. But the initial founders were actually a group uh, called the Loyal Nine. Like that's a movie I feel a title I feel like we could hear today. And uh, Sam Adam was not one of these Loyal Nine guys. Most of these nine guys were actually distillers, jewelers, and braziers, which I'm not talking about like women braziers that you wear over the bubados, but I'm talking about uh, the people that work with brass and would make brass stuff. So all of these people were actually being heavily taxed by the British for all their imports. These people basically were like, fuck these guys. They're not letting us do anything that we want. And they're charging us all this money to do our business over here. And I think then they started to realize and they, that they could seed the kind of the minds of people who were perhaps a little or not educated at all. But I would venture to guess that most of these men, if they were typical men of the day, could not even read. Uh, most of the members were actually pretty much just bar drunks, dock workers. They were from lower rungs of society. It was more of a hive mind and groupthink angry mob mentality that went on than an organized club where philosophical and political ideals could be discussed. In all reality, these guys were really just hanging out in bars, discussing what they understood of politics of the day and kind of their personal problems. Yeah, and it kind of sounds a lot like the Foot Clan in Ninja Turtles, like if somebody could make a great adaptation of the Ninja Turtles. The Foot Clan. This is like an adult foot clan. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Absolutely. Because it was exactly like just a chaotic group of shitheads that <laughs> But the but the foot clan wanted to do something shitty, whereas the Sons of Liberty wanted me to uh, like own people. Uh yeah, but the Sons of Liberty actually did do some pretty fucking shitty things like You'd start with the small stuff like burning effigies of tax collectors and other prominent officials. They would also tar and feather tax collectors, like literally like an actually like like put hot tar on them and then throw feathers on them like that was a real fucking thing. And yeah, that's a horrible thing to try to watch. Do you try to watch a reenactment of somebody being tar and feathered? It's horrifying. Does that exist? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking YouTube that directly the, after we're uh, done. Ronald Z. Moore show on HBO. Not seen. You know it. what I'm talking about? No. You've not seen Carnival? No. Oh my god, the man behind Bale Star Galactica and the Next Generation. I'm not cultured. Made. What can I say? Well, if you're looking for a show to watch, watch Carnival. It's two seasons of satanic circus crazy shit, early 1900s. Right on. By the way. Justin, do you know where all these people met at? All the people in the Sons of Liberty? A bar. Uh, well, they did meet at bars. They, they really did meet at bars. A lot of bars, actually. A lot T- of drinking at bars. But typically, then they would head over, like when they were burning these effigies and doing all this crazy stuff. In Boston, they, they had this tree, and they called it the Liberty Tree, and they'd meet under it. And the New York chapter, and I, I literally wrote these words down because I was really excited to write this word down. The New York chapter erected a liberty pole, and then they met around that. They erected it. As long as they erected it. They erected erected the sons. All the sons got together, and they erected this big pole. And then they would just gather around it and shout at people. 
like just things, you know? I feel like we're liking that as a society, just erecting a gigantic pole and shouting our beliefs. We try to make too many signs. <laughs> signs are lame. Big giant poles. Signs are lame. Change people's minds. Yeah, that's well, apparently it fucking worked. So some of the other notable members of the Sons of Liberty are, as we mentioned, Hercules Mulligans and Sam Adams. Yes, yes. Uh, we had John Adams, interestingly enough, John Hancock, and uh, Paul Revere was also another. There were several, several prominent members of the Sons of Liberty. I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, but those are like some of the big names. Interestingly enough, though, I think that what happened in this group, the Sons of Liberty, we had all these thinkers. So we knew that John Adams, like we mentioned that uh, J.Q. Adams, you know, John Quincy Adams, his son, was super smart. John Adams was super smart. So these people were super intelligent. And they realized what they should probably do is attach themselves to an idea that's not their own idea, right? So there's already a group of people that are angry about what fucking ever, and they can't really articulate that anger really well. So then they just fucking attach themselves to this idea, these intelligent folks, and then they steer the narrative of this hive mind. Wow, that doesn't sound anything like what's going on fucking today. Not at all. <laughs> I, not guess, I guess I guess not one bit. Well, I guess some things just never fucking change, man. Like, because really, that's exactly what this Sons of Liberty was used for. I think that it's what Washington used religion for. Uh, I think it's what a lot of our founding fathers actually used religion for. Because I think that there were such huge masses of uneducated religious people that did not understand what you would say to them unless it was some type of churchy context. So... You you let them believe that you believed in a God and then, you know, oh, well, he's he's a believer and he's really smart and he's telling us what to do and he's paying us and he's taking care of us. So everything he says must be true. And, you know, like it's just a really easy way to sweep up a massive group of people without trying too hard at all. Um, like I said, I, I do believe actually it's something that's happening today. But another thing that the Sons of Liberty provided <laughs> the time was a gathering place of like-minded people where potential informants and spies could actually be sought out and vetted, which is an interesting kind of idea. Like, oh, let's get all these people who kind of like hate all this stuff together. And then we can start figuring out like who likes to fucking open their mouth a lot and talk, who likes to do this, who likes to do that. Uh, Sam Adams even noted about all these gatherings where all these people would, would be crazy that these gatherings tinge the minds of the people. This is out of fucking Sam Adams' own mouth. They impregnate them with the sentiments of liberty. They render the people fond of their leaders in the cause and averse and bitter against all opposers. Fucking fascinating. I wish his Oktoberfest tinged my mind like his quotes. <laughs> But he also said that uh, not one person in that crowd was drunk, so he was a fucking liar. But Kenneth Dagler, the CIA dude that wrote this book uh, that I mentioned earlier, he actually kind of talks about how this whole thing is what modern intelligence professionals would, be, would refer to as putting in the plumbing. 
So before you engage in any type of modern espionage or warfare, you want to kind of start to lay the roots of who you understand you might be able to use. Because again, the Sons of Liberty was before everything that we've kind of started really getting into. This is, you know, 1765, super early on, the Tea Party hadn't even happened yet, which again, the Sons of Liberty were actually, that was kind of their crowning achievement, right? It was this pivotal point for the people of Massachusetts and really the patriotic movement as a whole. And it really solidified the open rebellion against the colonies. And so I think that that was like this right crowning achievement of the Sons of Liberty. Oh, also something else kind of like, I just thought about this, uh, something else that's kind of like the Sons of Liberty was actually the Masonic Lodge, right? Tradespeople's farmers and merchants. So they were maybe perhaps a little more better off than poorest of the poor that just would kind of get drunk every day and just like work at the wharf and just move shit for people. And and these were where the kind of farmers and tradespeople could actually rub up against uh, the wealthy and the politically influential individuals and exchange ideas. And actually, I think that George Washington used the Masonic Lodge and the people in the Masonic Lodge to kind of push him. We, we talked about his neighbor, who was also a Mason, that kind of pushed him into the idea of thinking that patriotism was uh, important. So I think that the Masonic Lodge is kind of another type of organization we could consider like the Sons of Liberty. Uh, moving kind of out of the Sons of Liberty, I wanted to talk yeah, about... Yeah, the Illuminati won, right? Well, fuck Yeah. Fuck just it. want to point that out so that my boss is okay with it. <laughs> going on, going on, going on, finding this. Uh, Dr. Bangrafa. Oh, okay. Kind of moving away from the Sons of Liberty thing. Some other people that I think are of note in our domestic spy game, one of them being John Jay. We talked about him earlier. Remember how I fucked up uh, who he was and got all that flip-flopping backwards. John Jay was our first U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice. He was a member and president of the Continental Congress. He was a key negotiator at the treaty ending the Revolutionary War. He was the Secretary of Foreign Affairs under the Articles of Confederation. He was, like I said, he was the first Supreme Court Confederation. He was twice the New York governor. He was a key contributor to the Federalist Papers and the first counterintelligence manager for the Patriots. So John Jay is a pretty cool dude. I mean, I think his actions during the Revolutionary War obviously led him to being uh, the first U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice. But late in 1776, so uh, Sons of Liberty, we were kind of, you know, in the 1765 era. Now we're hopping forward. We're in the Revolutionary War again, 1776. He was assigned by the Provincial Congress to look into loyalist plots that were threatening the advancement of the patriotic cause. So he was the one who would investigate the Hickey plot. Uh, we remember that guy, the handsome, tall, educated, good horse riding Magic Mike XXL bodyguard that plotted to kill Washington. And he was, uh, John Jay was considered fair in his approach. Uh, to locating and punishing or relocating those who were against the patriotic cause. So he was a pretty cool dude. One time he had to investigate a friend of his. His friend refused to pledge his loyalty to the patriotic cause and was forced to move to British-controlled land. And Jay wrote to his friend saying, Your judgment and consequently your conscience differed from mine on a very important question. But though as an independent American, I consider all who are not for us and you among the rest— as against us, yet be assured that John Jay did not cease to be a friend of Peter Van Sack. He is saying, he like, I'm, I'm still your friend, dude. Like, I can't be around you because you're 
ideas are so far from mine, but like I can I can deal with that cognitive dissonance and still be your friend. And he actually legitimized the counterintelligence process here in the United States. So before, literally, it was like these fucking witch hunts. It was these crazy Sons of Liberty type folks that would meet in some barn somewhere, get super fucking drunk, and then march on the town and be like, this person's a fucking, they're a loyalist, they're for the British, or they're for Patriot, And you know, if you're in a loyalist area. And it was basically just anybody who somebody didn't like. So like, oh, Bob really fucked me over yesterday, so I'm going to say that he's a fucking Patriot, and we're going to go lynch him or something like this is this was real up until John Jay started really getting involved in kind of setting up how these people would be tried, how the law would be applied equally and fairly. He also kept a bunch of records of the trials as to record the proceedings, the guilt, and the punishments so that it could kind of be regimented. And it's fascinating because Jay had the right to arrest and detain anyone he and his committee regarded as loyalist, which is really unprecedented control to even give anyone. And he could arrest anyone regardless of their position or privilege. The only place he did not have jurisdiction were just military affairs. So he had so much private power. And he was actually the author of some of the Federalist Papers. Within these documents, he made the argument that the executive branch should have the ability to conduct all of the intelligence activities in secret and without interference from other governmental bodies. So he really kind of set that up. John Jay actually, he didn't have spies of his own per se, But he did have groups of people gathering information for him and kind of helping him suss out who might be a loyalist who's kind of getting caught up in a plot and who's a true patriot. And Enoch Crosby was the name of one of this one of these men that worked for him. And he was one of Jay's most valuable counterintelligence assets. He was actually he was actually mistaken by a loyalist as a fellow loyalist. And instead of being like, nah, dude, I'm a patriot. He was like, Oh, yes, I am a loyalist. And he was repeatedly arrested by the Patriots and treated as a prisoner only to escape capture and join up with the British again, which is like the greatest fucking cover story ever, right? He would legitimately like they wouldn't set it up. He would actually just fucking escape, which kind of makes you think about like how secure are these goddamn fucking prisons anyway? Like, is it just like two dudes sitting in a barn with a guy like, hey, don't move. Like, and if you move, we're going to like fucking punch you because our guns are pretty shitty. Maybe we'll stab you. I don't know. So Crosby went so deep in cover one time during one of his stents being detained by the Patriots. He was identified by a man who knew his family. That man went and told everyone that Crosby was a loyalist which really worked out actually really well for his cover. But during this time, he was instructed by Jay's committee to plan his own escape. He did so by climbing out of a window again. Fucking, he escaped a lot. Anyway, he was discovered attempting to flee and was shot at. He was not hit, but the dude was fucking committed. Unlike uh, like Nathan Hale, who was like, I'm a fucking traitor. The dude was arrested and jailed a whole lot. Like I said, he was basically on his own to come up with his own escape plan all of the time. And one of my favorite stories occurs after the escape where he was being shot at. Again, after being arrested and detained and identified as someone who has escaped multiple times, he was taken to a secure location. The secure location where he was taken was John Jay's own home. But Jay was gone and no one could vouch for him. So what does this dude do yet again to avoid punishment? He talks the housemaid into drugging the brandy of the guard on duty and he slips out. Uh, Eventually, he just fucking escapes too much and he has to fucking stop doing it. So, bummer. 
But again, American espionage is more than just the culper ring or one tiny little bit. There's so many bits. Or that, Harrison Ford. Or fucking beautiful baby-faced Harrison Ford who is old but still beautiful. Nothing like that. And next episode, if you join us, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of the international spy game and maybe touch some, some more on some domestic stuff. But who fucking knows? You know, ju- ju- I'll be an hour late. Justin's going to get a little drunk. And, uh, you know, we just kind of fucking wing it. Go ahead. Hit up our Facebook page. Write us some fan mail. Contact at POTUS.life. Go rate us on iTunes. Please sign up to become a social media ambassador for us. So if you are wanting to kind of help us do some more... Uh, weekly post and kind of keep us up to date because we basically need some fucking help. If you're interested in helping us, let us know. We could definitely use it. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. I love everybody. I love everybody. Bye. Sending agent triple eight.